good that we're a community that isn't here just to consume, isn't it? Um, I don't think I'm going to cry this morning, so Alan, you can have that if that's all right. Um, if I do, give them back, will you? All right, let's take a pause and just uh, have a word of prayer. We uh, thank you, God, that uh, Kyle is feeling better. We thank you for that. We uh, also pray for the other folks around right now in our church community and the community beyond that are suffering this morning, that aren't able to make it. We pray your hand will be upon them. And as we just uh, dig into your word a little bit this morning, um, we pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to each one of us. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so I'm just going to open with a reading from um, Ezekiel, um, and uh, this was done early this morning, so you don't see that entirely on the screen, so if you can get your Bibles open um, and get to Ezekiel 8, um, and we're going to do 7 to 17, if you can't, I'll try to read as slowly as I can, um, and Ezekiel 8, 7, and the context of this reading is that in the Old Testament you see a lot of folks that are prophets that God communicates to that prophet through a story and gives them a vision and shows them a picture and through that communicates a message and that's what we're reading about this morning. Then he brought me to the entrance of the court. I looked. I saw a hole in the wall and he said to me, son of man, now dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and saw a doorway there. Then he said to me, go in and see the wicked and detestable things that they they are doing here. So I went in and looked, and I saw portrayed all over the walls, all kinds of crawling things and unclean animals and all the idols of Israel. In front of them stood 70 elders of Israel, and Jazaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them, so someone that isn't supposed to be there, among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. He said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness? Each, each the shrine of his own idol. They say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Again, you will see them doing things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And I saw women sitting there mourning the god Tamar. Again, a god that shouldn't, um, they shouldn't have been involved in worshiping or mourning for. In the god Tamar. And he said to me, do you see this, son of man? You will see, these, see things that are even more detestable than this. Then he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And there, at the entrance of the temple, between the portico and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east. They were bowing down to the sun in the east. And he said to me, Have you seen this, son of man? Is it a trivial matter for the people of Judah to do detestable things, they are, do the detestable things they are doing here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continue to arouse my anger? Look at them putting the branch uh, to their nose. Therefore I will deal with them in anger. I will look at them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. I was thinking about this scripture at 5.30 this morning. Now I know you're looking at me like, you must be an odd guy to be laying in bed at 5.30 this morning thinking about this particular scripture. But I grew up in a church, and um, last night we found out that Kyle was um, struggling, so I, you know, we are very happy to step in, and I usually look at the sermons that I have. But I was just thinking about this scripture this morning, and I grew up in a church where you had two or three hour sermons, and 
So these stories were very vividly portrayed. And I used to hear the scripture read, and I used to think about this idea that imagine if we were all in here and everybody was turned around face that way. We had a cross up here, and Jesus was standing here, and everyone is facing outside the door. There's an odd thing in soccer where um, I always find it odd, um, and it's been a little bit more of a trend. It's a, um, German soccer teams, and I'm not uh, dissing Germans here. Um, but they turn around, and they link arms, and they have their back to the, to the soccer players that are on the field, and they jump up and down and, and do their thing. And I used to have this picture of, why, are they, why would they get it so wrong? What's so obvious? You know, they're in the inner court, and the 25 people in there symbolize the leadership. You notice that in the images that he brings the prophet Ezekiel all the way through um, the story for deeper and deeper into the temple. In the temple are the 25 top leaders. So we're not just talking about people that aren't knowledgeable here. We're not just talking about the general crowd that haven't really learned a whole lot. We're talking about the leaders of Israel that he's pointing to and saying they've got their back to God and they're worshiping something else. And there's a whole lot of other narrative that we can pull from that verse. But I was thinking about it this morning, thinking, do we still do this? Is this something that we do? We, do, we have our back to things that God is trying to show us, our back to things that should be things that we, we are doing as Christians. And so just out of that, musing that 5.30 this morning, is what I'm going to share with you a little bit this morning. Because I think that, um, you know, again, there's, there's some people that read this that they were facing the east, they were bound, it was a pre-thing of Islam. I, I don't know what it is, but what I do know, that the story there is saying the people have turned their backs on me and turned their face in the wrong direction in what should be an obvious place. I want to share, I mean, it still happens. I want to share a couple of images with you. I mean, this is um, George Foreman and Muhammad Ali, I think. That's not where I want to be with George Foreman behind me, right? Next one. This is not where you want to be. How many of you feel that way? You're like, oh, wait, I'm facing the wrong way. What about this one? What's wrong with this picture? Your football folks notice? And I actually and I read an interview and this guy, no, I didn't actually mean to line up incorrectly. I was actually... Uh, thinking about something else at the time. But, you know, I think that quite often we, always, we have the wrong perception about something. We say that we do something, say that we're going to do something, but in reality our back is turned. And quite often we refer to that as hypocrisy. So I just want to highlight some things where I personally, when I was thinking about this this morning, that I feel like sometimes I'm hypocritical on. That sometimes I need to change my behavior from one thing to another. And the first one of those is, I need to focus on the person over the perception of a person. You know, I, you often hear it's like, you, you, people look at someone and say, you really don't know what's going on in their life, right? So, you know, when you're in the middle of a situation where you're looking at someone and you're, you're trying to tell them something and they're not coming back at you with a, what is a reasonable, and we say, look, we don't know what's going on in their life. And that's true. But I think, right, I think it's actually much deeper than that. I think our perception of people and perception of each other is fed by a whole lot more things. Look at our Facebook feeds. Look at our news stations that we, we uh, follow. Look at the TV shows that we follow, the movies that we watch. 
These are all things that inform our perception of other people. And quite often, it gives us the wrong perception of people. I'll share the next image. If you can see that on the screen. What about this one? I love this one. You were a little worried there, weren't you? You were like, what about this one? Take a moment, look at it. These, that's a real, it's a real picture. Or this is my favorite one. Next one. That's a real picture. I took it. That's my son. You know, sometimes when we look at something, our perception of that thing, that person, is misleading. Because you don't know what's going on behind that person. We don't know what's informing that thing going on in that person's life. And we're so focused on the perception instead of the person. And, I, you know, I was, you'll hear me say, and probably said it to you guys, watch this thing on Netflix. If you have Netflix, watch The Great Hack. Apart from the fact that it's got a couple of British folks in it, um, it's actually um, a documentary that talks about the idea of how um, data, big data, is being used to influence situations. And in, well, the one thing that um, really stood out to me in one of those uh, stories was that th there was a, an election in Trinidad and Tobago where, has anyone seen The Great Hack, by the way? No? no? You've seen The Great Hack? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Someone has. There's an election in Trinidad and Tobago, and um, there's a uh, British company called Cambridge Analytica. Um, and so what they did was, uh, it, before they became Cambridge Analytica, they were called SCL. And they went in and they said, okay, they needed help in the election, and so there's one side versus the other. One is the Afro-Caribbean group, and there's one that's an Indian-Caribbean group. And they went in and said, okay, we're going to help one versus the other. And so what they did is worked with the Afro-Caribbean group, and, and there was a, a gentleman that in one of the protests against the government went like that with his arms. And so they came up with a campaign that said, um, it, it's the do-so um, campaign. Look it up on the internet um, and check which page you're reading because you want to read the right narrative about this. Um, and so they came up with a campaign that said the best way for the Afro-Caribbean youth to deal with this was to actually abstain from voting. So they built this whole campaign around getting the youth to, to get on the streets and they had posters everywhere. Um, and then they said, okay, the best thing for you to do is not to vote. They're very visible. What they didn't realize was the campaign was actually working with the Indian Caribbean folks because they knew, and they got the same youth doing the same thing, but they knew that if they, when it came to it, the youth of the Indian Caribbean folks would actually do what their parents tell them and go vote. So they were subverting a way of stopping the Afro-Caribbean folks from voting so they could actually influence and help the Indian Caribbean folks. It was a complete play. It's a political play. The whole thing was about creating a perception, but behind the scenes was a completely different thing. It's a fascinating, I mean, for me as a communications person, it's a fascinating thing how people can be manipulated. But we do it every day, right? We do it 
we look at people, and instead of seeing them as how God sees them, we actually see them with all their sin, with all the things that they, you struggle with in terms of your lens of the world. You don't see what God brings to the table. In Genesis, he says, God created man in the image of God, both male and female. Did you know that God is still doing that today? God is still creating male and female in his image today. Hasn't changed. You are created in the image of God. Hmm. So when I look at you, and I'm looking at some of you, and I'm thinking, I've forgotten that. I've forgotten that part. Because what I see is the sin that the world has brought to you the particular baggage that I have myself of how I should view you, your color, how you dress, what class you're in, that all influences how I perceive you. And I'm not able to do that and actually see you as a person. Because, you know, thank God that God doesn't look at us like that, right? Thank God that God doesn't look at us like that, that he sees people that there's no baggage of perception that he brings to the table. And you heard the phrase that God made man uh, in his image and man returned the compliment. Yeah. Right? You've heard that phrase? And that's because we, how we picture God is something we put in a box. And this is the mystery. Paul talks about this so much in his um, writings about the mystery of God. The fact that we think we can take this big mystery and put it in a box and define. And so not only do we say well, that person is in the image of God because this is the image of God that I have, but we have this baggage, we see the sin. And so I would just encourage you, look at people, look at the person. Don't just look at your perception of, person, of a person. Step back from your bias. Think about what biases you have. You know, I think that just on a side note, I think there's this trend um, for us to say, well, you know, don't, we don't want to judge anybody. Look, the Bible clearly says that you are to judge in some ways. The Bible is quite clear about that. I think where it gets confusing is if you read who Jesus judges, it's very different to the people that we want to judge, right? And very different to the way that we want to judge that person. So my encouragement is to take a step back. See, see the person instead of your implying your perception. The second thing is I want to talk about partnerships over power. You want to jump through this, go through the next slide, just so you can see this, can, this is the Do So campaign. Um, so look it up if you want to. But um, I want to go to partnerships over power. You see, when Jesus came um, up towards the point where he was going to be uh, crucified, what does he come in on? A donkey, right? What does that mean? What, what was the point of that? Humility? Yeah. Jesus, Jesus is making a deliberate point here. Everything that Jesus was doing, he's making a deliberate point. His version of leadership, his version of power, his version of the kingdom of heaven is different to ours. You see, if we, we come in, we want to come in with power. We want to come in with the title, the leadership role. 
Instead, Jesus comes in as a donkey. And the reason that is the case, because central to the kingdom of heaven is love. If you look at, every, look at Satan's version of the kingdom, I offer you power if you take and eat of this fruit. Cain and Abel think about it, want that. They want to have that power. I want to be in control of something. That's the, it's the narrative. Look at the Tower of Babel. What do they want to do? Increase power. But instead, Jesus comes on a donkey and says, this is not about power. This is about love. And this is, you know, this is so deep. I've said this almost every time when I preach now. I've never got to that sermon series that I want to write on the fact that love is central to everything that is in the Bible. It's so central that we don't understand what that means. And I believe me, I'm not a wishy-washy person, okay? I'm not a person that just is, is not wanting to get things done. I, but I have never understood until later on in my years what it truly means to understand that the kingdom of God is about love. Jesus' love uh, approach to the kingdom is self-sacrifice, right? This is what the affordable Christmas story is all about. These are people that are made in the image of God. This is our role as Christians, that we don't want to have power. This is why we invite people to come in, choose their gifts, and tell their kids, we give their gifts at 10% of the, the real price, and we get them to take the, they pay 10%. The idea behind that is so they can tell their kids, we bought this. We don't need the power in that. We don't want them to be able to tell their kids, well, it was a church, Trinity, that did it. We want them to have that. It's about their dignity. That's how Jesus would approach it. So if you want to do something this year as Jesus would, do a affordable Christmas store. I'm okay with saying that. Look at every historical narrative. Anyone in power, I talk about this at work quite a bit, everyone in power, they want to keep hold of that power and control because they're so afraid that once they get it, they're going to lose it, right? But when you talk about the kingdom of God, there's so much to go around, you can never lose it. Central to the kingdom of God is love, not power, which is what we have in the human biblical narrative. The problem is, is that when we talk about partnerships over power, we start having to have humility. We start having to listen to people, right? We start having to sacrifice things. We, we quite often have to repent. At this point in my notes, I put, move on quickly because I'm starting to scare myself. Right? It's scary, isn't it? This idea that Oh, what does that mean to love somebody and give up my control? I've earned all this wealth and I don't want to give it up. I'm afraid to be poor again. I've had all, earned all this power at my work. And believe me, if you lose a job, which I've done, and you go from a leadership position and you suddenly don't have a job, suddenly you realize what that means. You lose control of things. You think that you can hold on to everything as tightly as you can. But the reality is, if you understand the, the kingdom of God, it's not about power. It's not about control. Central to the kingdom of God is love. And therefore, I would advise you to use partnerships over use of power. And finally, the one that everybody hates talking about, I would say people over politics. And the reason I say this is because, um, for those of you that know me, I've worked at uh, an organization called Lutheran Our Ministries. 
um, for over 12 years. Um, I'm just trying to save the front row here. Um, I've worked at an organization for 12 years called Lutheran Ministries, which is a very conservative Christian body. Um, and then for the last few years, I've been helping out an organization called Missouri Immigrant and Refugee Advocates. On the one hand, you have a fairly conservative church body. On the, le- on the other hand, and notice I do have my left and right out here, um, you have a very liberal organization that's very influenced by um, the left-wing politics. What's interesting is, having been on both sides of this, and I'm always the one that's pulling away from the edge, um, so I'm always in trouble, no matter where I go. Um, What's interesting is that they both behave the same way on either extreme. That it's the narrative, the, the script that they're given, that becomes more important than the person that they're talking to. That their political narrative And believe me, there's a very strong left political narrative and there's a very strong right political narrative that's been written and that everybody keeps to. I've seen it. But instead of just focusing on the people, we're focused on our politics. And we do misuse the Bible for that too. We want to push through what our narrative is, our rhetoric is, and instead of understanding that this is about people, not about politics. Of course, how you view people will affect your politics. But if you switch that around, you've turned your back on the direction that God wants you to go. And I'm not afraid to tell you that. I'm okay. You decide what politics you want to have. But I will challenge you, if you put politics before people, you've become sinful. Sorry. You might not like that. And God has grace, thank God. Right? And in the middle of this, that if you read the narratives of Ezekiel, that there's still this sense of, I will, I will judge these people, this almost angry God, and then, but I love them so much that I'm going to bring them back to focus on me. And so with the grace of God, we can look at people, look at the person, over our perceptions of that person. We can think about partnerships instead of our power. And we can think about people instead of our politics. And that would be my encouragement to you this morning. Because what does it matter if you're worshiping here this morning, if you're worshiping the wrong thing? What does it matter if you're worshiping here this morning, if you're worshiping the wrong thing? Just think about that. Give it some thought. If Greg will come back up um, and uh, sing with us, uh, just think about that in terms of where are you facing? Where's your direction? Are you directionally challenged on some things? Because that was the picture that God was showing Ezekiel in a very vivid way. But there's aspects in our lives where I think we've got our back turned to where Jesus wants us to be. And so I would encourage you to think about that.